I think everybody needs to change their the notion of oh, I need to get I need to lose weight to be healthy to I need to get active to get healthy because that's the point that people are missing. And if we just focused on the physical activity part and understand that weight loss could be one of the could be one of the side effects of regular physical activity could be right i like i want to focus on it could be one of the side effects but it doesn't mean that it will be the side effect if people just really understood that i think more people would be generally active Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows enough about yet. In fact, this wave is so well hidden by the negative noise in our media landscape that I'm calling it a conspiracy of goodness. And if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're part of that wave. You're probably a remarkable doer and giver and helper, an idea person in your circles. And the guest on this podcast will give you inspiration, joy, and fresh ideas so that you can continue this remarkably important role in your circles. So thank you there and welcome. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, co-founder of the host website of this podcast at the Goodness Exchange. At the Goodness Exchange, you are going to find thousands of links and articles that we've written about what's right with the world. It's essentially positive news for curious people. And there you will have your worldview more balanced. The Goodness Exchange has been at it for 10 years, focusing on what's happening in the world that proves it is still an amazing world and that can help people go along in their day with a spring in their step. And we're going to get started on that spring in your step right now today. We have an amazing guest on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. So welcome, Martinez Evans. Martinez is lately part of a buzz that's going on in the, at the periphery of the health and fitness world. Martinez has been in, on the cover of the New York Times, the New York Post, CBC, Men's Health Magazine, the Good Morning America, Runner's World. And that wouldn't be unusual, except that he has run eight marathons and weighs over 300 pounds. And the thing is, is that he's opening up the world for those of us who are larger body size and want to be a part of, of all the health and fitness movements that are going on. But society is telling us we don't belong. He is, uh, since 2012, um, he had a doctor's visit where he was told by, uh, sounds like a pretty unkind doctor, that he should lose weight or die. And in that moment, he will tell us a story in a few minutes about how he resolved to run a marathon or many. And since then, he's coached hundreds of runners. He's founded the Slow AF Run Club, a community of over 16,000 people worldwide who are larger body size and also enjoying the heck out of running. He's also the author of a great book, which we'll talk about in this interview. And when he's not running races all over the world, he enjoys speaking passionately about issues related to size inclusivity, mindset, and DEI, 
and mental health. This is all part of becoming a part of a world where we can all enjoy sports, outdoors, fitness, and enjoy the kind of um, mental health benefits that all of our body types should have access to. So welcome, Martinez Evans. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Linda. I chatted with Martinez a few minutes um, before we started our interview today, and I shared with him that uh, we have a team of six at the Goodness Exchange. And yesterday, I proposed this this interview with to the team and said, "What what are you curious about? What do you want to hear from Martinez?" And they had no end questions, so I am just so excited to get started with the the way our minds really work about the topic that you're, you are championing and you are opening up a whole new world for people about. So let's just start with your story. Tell us, give us the rundown of how you wound up championing this running for all sizes movement. Yeah. Um, to, to sum it up, 10 years ago, I had some news by a doctor. It wasn't even news. It was more or less a, um, a adversarial discussion. <laughs> for a lack of better words, um, which left me uh, furious, frustrated, and angry. And that was the start of me starting to run. And then over the 10 years, um, I've done a bunch of amazing things. I've ran eight marathons, a hundred other different races, but I've also founded this uh, community called the Slow Up Run Club, which has about 16,000 members worldwide. Uh, Also, um, has created a, a merch line or a brand to go along with that that has size exclusive clothing that goes from um, a small to a six or seven X. Um, and, you know, I really don't necessarily see myself as a influencer. I kind of see myself as a, a change maker and an influential person and in a field that really needs some changing. Yeah, you know, on our team at the Goodness Exchange, um, I've been chubby all my life, and most of us found ourselves very connected to your your uh, your story because we have been in those exact situations where we didn't have the right body to to change our clothes in front of others, like everybody else just stripping off, ch- changing their t-shirt, or we've been in those moments, you know, in the doctor's office when when there feels like shame is the name of the game. And um, times when we, you know, I, I was running seven miles a day and weighed 200 pounds. Um, for a woman, I was 5'8", but I, that that doesn't seem like it, it equates to most people. And you have, a, and yet I was super fit. So you have a similar story. Talk to us a little bit about the scope of where this conversation is going. So, yeah. So 10 years ago, um, I was working at Men's Warehouse at the time. So I was on my feet eight to 10 hours a day selling suits. I was a suit salesman working commission sales, um, wearing hard bottom dress shoes, walking on concrete floor. Like this is something I just like to put up there, right? Just so people can like imagine this. And I started to develop some hip issues and I went to go see a doctor. Um, this is the first time me ever meeting this doctor. He wasn't a, my regular doctor. He was just an orthopedic surgeon that I just looked up online to try to figure out what's going on. So I go into this doctor's office and I'm like, doc, my hip hurts. I used to be a football player. Now I'm on my feet eight to 10 hours a day. Like what's going on? And this doctor didn't touch me. He didn't put a stethoscope on me. He didn't do any of that stuff. He just looked at me and said, I know why, I know why you're in pain. Okay. What's that? And he was like, you're fat. 
you need to lose weight or die. So many people have experienced this in their life, right? Like you can have a broken pinky toe. Like your finger could be broken and you go see a doctor and they're like, well, yeah, let's talk about that finger. Like, yeah, we need to get that together, but let's talk about your weight first. Mm -hmm. So this is the same thing that was going on with me. So, you know, this doctor goes on to say, well, you got the stomach as a pregnant woman. You need to start walking to lose weight, all this other stuff. So I told him, being very facetious, I was going to run a marathon. And he laughs at me and tells me that's the most dumbest thing he has heard in all his years of practicing medicine. Not only that, he went on to say that if I run a marathon, I will die on the course. So, Linda, I'm sitting there in a catch-22. Like, you want me to lose weight or die, but if I try to run a marathon, I'll die there as well. So I remember leaving the doctor's office being like, you know what, well, let's find out. And uh, I bought some running shoes that day and that, and got on a treadmill that day. And that was the start of my journey. And that journey, I, we, my whole team was shocked that, that, am I right? Just 16, 20 weeks later, you ran your first marathon. Uh, I never ran my first marathon. I ran my first 5k. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's a long way. I mean, 16, 20 weeks, you, you must have had a level of physicality and a level of health that um, that started you off in a different place to be able to do that in just such a short time. Well, you know, one of the things was I was on my feet eight to ten hours a day. Yes. Like, yeah, people like people just see my outer appearance, but like I was walking around, like I was walking on the sales floor for eight to ten hours a day on my feet. There was no sitting down, right? Yeah. Um, I was a weekend warrior, so mm -hmm. I played basketball and flag football with friends and things of that sort, right? So I had that, but people just seeing this this very large individual and just had their own opinions about me mm -hmm. and where and where I was in life. Like, you know, mm. they they just imagined that I was just um being at home, very sloth like, um, sit, laying on the couch with chips, potato chips and ice cream on my belly. And eating both of those as I watch TV, and that was far from the truth. You know, it isn't that true? I have, most folks that I know, um, you know, can look back at their grandmothers and pictures of their the people they come from. At least in my family, I have a daughter who's six feet tall and and always been a giant of a girl. Her dad paid, played professional basketball. We were just going there. Both of our mm -hmm. sides of our family have this gene. And you can't outrun your genes. And so I'm sure that, and, and yet these people carried on our grandmother's generation. My God, they, they worked themselves to death sometimes. <laughs> and that requires a level of fitness, right? I mean, yeah. like you were on your feet, you were doing what you needed to do to get through the day. Um, so why running? Why, why did, why was running what popped into your mind? Because I'm sure you could have had success at lots of different sports. I was just being facetious. You know, this doctor was telling me I need to go walk on a track and like walk for uh for walk for four laps and all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, if you're gonna take it to one extreme, I'm gonna take it to the other extreme. So, you know, it was just me just trying to one up him in this conversation of being very irritated, right? You know, historically <laughs> it's not generally accepted to massage your fist against somebody else's face, uh, especially when it's a doctor. 
So <laughs> instead of a mas- massaging my fist against his face, I had to use my words. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think about um, when, when I talk about the genetics, just the people we all come from? Does that resonate with your story at all? Yeah, like it, it is a part of where we come from, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that for most individuals, genetics has a, a a lot to do with our body type. It has a very lot to do with it. You know, uh, my dad was a physician, and um, I remember one of the last things he said when he he died of cancer, but he was with it right to the end. He put his hand on my my arm and he said, "Linda, you're a good keeper. You're gonna have to watch your weight your whole life." and what he meant was we keep calories really good. My, my standard joke my whole life has been that I just missed my millennium. I would have been great in the ice age. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm half joking about that. But, you know, at some point, I'm, I'm so much older than you, but you do have to develop a, an okayness with, 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 the, with, the, with what you got and play the cards. And it sounds like um, it sounds like this is this is what you were uniquely built to contribute. I mean, all your life, did you ever think you'd be in the New York Times and that you'd be doing something on Good Morning America? Absolutely not. Did not see that <laughs> in the plan. Did not see that in the future. That was not on my vision chart or my vision board. So it's definitely um, completely different than what I had in mind. But I'm, I'm how did that all how did that chain of events start like what came first um and oh i think the the most beautiful thing that i found i just love that photograph of you what was it on men's men's health, men's health. Yeah. yeah you've got you're striking a really really interesting pose and i mean we got to embrace this stuff yeah um so how did we get there like yeah <laughs> I don't know. 10 years of doing what I love, writing about my love, writing about where, what I love and just doing the thing that I love to do. So, you know, once the doctor called me fat and I started to, you know, go on this journey of like training for a marathon, I, I blogged about it as well. So created a blog called 300 pounds and running. And that pretty much was like my, like, diary online diary about like what was going on and from there like i think like it just evolved from blogging to twitter to twitter to instagram from instagram to podcasting to writing about it to um, individuals just finding my story uh, motivating and inspiring that Mm -hmm. you know it was just a 10-year journey from Doctor calling me fat to me posing nude in men's health. <laughs> that is such a great a great arc of time and impact. I think. Mm-hmm. Like, tell, do you have some? Do you have any stories of uh, that people have shared with you about how your story has affected them? Oh, tons of stories, right? There's ton, have been tons of individuals who have stopped me along the way to say, like, you know, I was feeling bad about myself. I was feeling bad about you know, where I was in my journey and hearing your story and hearing your philosophy helped me change the way that I thought about my own personal journey. That is mm-hmm. something I hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for our mental chatter? So tips for mental chatter. Let's go in there. I got a bunch of them. So, okay. Um, so much so that I wrote a chapter about like just mental health. So, okay. First let's mention like, the book because yes. I want to make sure people connect with the book. 
Promote okay. all you want. Tell me what the name of the book is. Okay. Slow AF Run Club, the ultimate guide for anybody who wants to run. So this okay. is a how-to manual on running that uh, I wrote that recently just came out. So uh, in chapter one, I have um, the chapter is titled You Versus Your Mind Versus Everyone Else. So it just tells you like what life is about, right? It's literally a you trying to do the thing. You trying to get off the couch. You trying to go from zero to one and that actual physical process. Then it's your mind. All of the things that's going on in your head, all of the things that you subconsciously picked up, you know, you telling your all the stuff or narrative you told yourself, right? And then versus everyone else. So it's all the things that people have said to you along the way, all the things of like, oh, people are looking at me and now you're processing that as well. So like that's life in general, you versus your mind versus everyone else. And throughout that process, you know, there has been some things that I learned along the way you know the first thing is not everything you think is true and not everything you feel is real so really understanding that if you can separate your thoughts and feelings from the actual person that you are you can be unstoppable literally unstoppable because you already know that your mind is going to play tricks on you our minds is programmed to literally get us out of discomfort. We don't want to be uncomfortable. So our mind would tell us any and everything to make sure that we are not uh, experiencing discomfort. So that is the first thing, right? Really understanding not everything you think is true and not everything you feel is real. Now, if you add that with, we all have an inner critic, okay? I've named my inner critic. I've given my inner critic a persona. You know, my inner critic name is Otis. He has a very raspy voice. He's a five pack of, uh, pack of cigarette smoker. And, you know, once you understand that you can kind of separate these this inner critic from you, because most of the time our inner critic is in our voices. So it's literally us telling us that you are a bad person or you can't do that. What I've done is changed that and flipped it on his head so that my inner critic is in a different voice and has a different persona. And that way I can really think about like, okay, yeah, what you're saying is something that you're trying to like prevent me from being uncomfortable, but you, it's not helpful. So that way you can kind of reason with your own inner critic so that you can move on in the space to go on and, 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 and crush your goal. And then the last thing I would mention, because, you know, this is my mindset bag, but like the last thing I would mention is like practice delusional self-worth. So now that you got your, your critic in check, you know that not everything you think is true and not everything you feel is real. Now you practice delusional self-belief. What is that? It's the fact that you believe in yourself so much and you're so wedded to your dreams your goals and aspirations that you already have in your head that you're going to do it. And not only that you're going to go, that you're, you believe that you're going to do it, you're going to do the work to get there. So if you think about all the modern marvels, even this, like we're, I'm talking to you on a microphone. I got a camera here. Somebody had to create that. Imagine flying. Imagine the Wright brothers being like, oh, I want to be amongst the birds. 
and somebody being like, what are you smoking? You done had too much milk of the poppy. What you mean you want to fly? But we fly every day, and it's just a normal occurrence. So, like, that's the notion of practicing delusional self-belief, is that you have to believe in yourself so much that you that you are going to do it, and you're going to put in the work to actually do it. Mm. Those are three very big ones. And I, I think you could apply them to almost anything that you um, that you kind of know in your heart is something you want to go after. Yes. That's the beautiful part about sports, physical activity, is that it's all an allegory for life. It literally can be, uh, it literally can be added to anything in life. Mm. Um, Okay, let's take a break. (laughs) I've gotten so wrapped up in in your message that I forgot to take a little break. Let's take a break and we come back. We'll talk to Martinez more about these insights that he's gotten from this wonderful journey he's been on and how so generously he's sharing it with the world. Okay, we'll be right back. Hey, Dr. Linda here. Did you know that a recent Harvard study found that exposure to just four minutes of good news each day will make you 32% less anxious? and 18% more optimistic. Just four minutes, we've all got that much time to devote to our worldview and our sense of flourishing. Yes, if you make a habit of learning about just one piece of remarkably good news each day, you can be the one in your circles with fresh insights, ideas, and a sense of strength. Okay, so that takes care of the problem in our personal lives. But what about our work environments? We need to feel like we come alive there, that we have meaning and purpose there. Well, enter the goodness exchange for business. For companies that want to create optimistic and values-driven work cultures, our content can give you a way to turn aspirational ideas like positivity into a concrete way of being in the workplace. In fact, employee retention and attraction may depend on your company's ability to nurture a tone of innovation, interesting collaborations, and possibility. And most importantly, the Goodness Exchange can meaningfully elevate your company's wellness efforts and benefits packages. Your work culture can be offering employees something new, peace of mind, and that sense of flourishing, where employees' well-being isn't just a perk. It's the way we care about the individuals in our workplaces. So if you'd like to chat about infusing your culture with a tone of celebration about goodness and progress, we'd love to chat. Contact our CEO, Liesl. Her email address is info at goodnessexchange.com. Thanks. Okay, we're back with Martinez Evans. Martinez is a, a very large guy, three, 300 pounds, went from working at Men's Warehouse, helping other people fit their suits to being on the cover of Men's Health uh, magazine. And he is a beautiful soul that's discovered a whole part of the world that he is uniquely built to share with us. And it's this life experience he's had for almost uh, more than a decade about discovering that running was actually for him, even though the world would say it wasn't. So Martinez, Talk to us about the slow AF run running club, because this is, 
this this need for us all to win or be the best or what what's that all about it seems like if there's ever a sport that should be just about your personal best if it's even that it should just be about the process and the journey it seems like it would be running but everybody's got to win what's this this slowness all about so slow af run club is a community that i founded um we have about sixteen thousand members worldwide and one of the things that i want to get everybody to really understand is that they can be a runner in the body that they have today don't have to lose any weight you don't have to go out and do anything special you can be a runner in the body that you have today and that's what we do inside the slow f run club like we provide inspiration motivation action and actual how to to actually get started running and we we have this community so that individuals can also feel like they're not alone in this journey because starting a journey going from zero to one very hard and it can be very lonely you can feel like you're by yourself not um and you're just a trailblazer and that's not necessarily the case so we want people to understand that they're not alone and we have a community just for them um when you're talking about running right and the theoretical sense you know it's really about trying to outbeat somebody but what i found out and one of the things that I really believe is that if you're not a elite athlete, none of this stuff really matters. If your job does not consist of you getting first, second, and third place and like running a distance, none of this stuff matters. Linda, let me tell you something. Most races are permitted as a parade. Like there's no racing permit. Like they have to go get a parade permit. So even if you just see it this that way, like we're all participating, we all paid our money to participate in a parade to get a participation medal at the end of it. Last time I checked, every time I see a parade, I don't see the, the Santa Claus parade trying to beat out the Mickey Mouse float. Like I don't see them in competition. They're all doing that thing, waving to the crowds. You know, and doing that thing. So, like, why when it comes to these road races or running parades, if you're not an elite athlete, none of this stuff matters. So, we really just need to really enjoy the thing that we're doing and have fun while doing it. This, I love that notion. You know, once I was running with someone who who runs for race, runs races. I mean, that's what they do. That's their hobby. They keep trying to you know, do all the things. And she made some kind of a comment to me. She, she said, well, that's not running looking at what I was doing. She said, that's more like a survival shuffle. And I had this moment, like, of course she's little bitty thing, very, you know, with the right clothes on and the whole thing. <laughs> and I thought, Oh my gosh, that's, that's kind of some serious hubris to say that um, in the first place. But I love my survival shuffle is what I responded to her. I get to hear the birds and I notice people around me and I, I, I do all these little mind games with colors and things as, as the world goes by. I have a great old time in my survival shuffle. So I did, <laughs> I did at least speak up for myself, but you know, uh, do you see that, that, that there's more to running um, as far as experiencing others, maybe being able to run slow and chat and that sort of thing as well? Yeah, there's just so many benefits to running, right? Um, 
just overall, regular physical activity, there's so many benefits that come to regular physical activity, whether it's running, walking, or whatever. So, like, that's one of the things that I, I try to preach to everybody to say that regardless, like, running is good for your mental health. It's still good for your, your health in general. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's something to be outside. It's something to uh, be amongst nature. All of that stuff is great. It gives you endorphins. It helps you stay grounded. Like, all of that stuff is beneficial, regardless if it's slow or fast. Mm. My mm. thing is just do it consistently. Yes. Okay, so that is the truth about a lot of things, that you you got to put in the time to where that consistency really draws you in like a magnet. Yeah. So tell me about some of the stereotypes or myths. I bet you have a chapter about that with body size. Well, I think the thing is, is that a lot of people think that exercise equals weight loss. And I think we've been taught and fed that for years, you know, diet culture, so on and so forth. Right. And I think that even when people are like, Oh, I want to get healthy. I'm going to lose weight. That don't necessarily mean that you're healthier. Right. right. And with everybody's like, oh, you need to lose weight because that's going to be good for your blood pressure, your heart rate, your cholesterol, things of that sort. I think they're missing the point. It's not the weight loss part that they're talking about. It's the physical activity part. Right. So I think everybody needs to change their the notion of, oh, I need to get, I need to lose weight to be healthy to, I need to get active uh-huh. to get healthy. Right. That's the point that people are missing. And if we just focused on the physical activity part and understand that weight loss could be one of the could be one of the side effects of regular physical activity. Could be, right? I like I want to focus on it. Could be one of the side effects. But it doesn't mean that it will be the side effect. Mm. If people just really understood that, I think more people would be generally active if they really just got a hold of that notion. However, I think that with diet culture being, you know, the diet industry is a multi-trillion dollar industry, is that I think that's like the greatest kept secret that's not a secret, right? And it, the way, the reason why they do that is because like self-love and self-compassion cannot be sold within a, uh, a bottle of pills or powder or so on and so forth or a special diet but self-hate self-loathing lower self-confidence can be so i think that like that's the biggest misconception is that you know the way they put it is oh you hate your body you hate your life like do this take these pills and your life is going to change and it doesn't and then you feel even worse about yourself and then how what the industry does is say, well, it's your fault. Like it's your fault that you feel the way you do about your body. So like continue to take these pills and drugs versus being like, no, it's actually the industry's fault that you are going through the thing that you're going through. Oh, that, and that is, um, that is so true of so many things in life where it's easy to place blame um, and, and take it off <laughs> the place where it it, it, should be. it needs to remain, right? It's so, we seem to accept blame pretty easy. Yes, we, we do. And I think that's the thing, right? Like, 
So I have, like I said, I have degrees like a thermometer. I have a degree in exercise science. And one of the things they tell you is that like diets don't work. 95% of diets don't work, right? And the research says that anybody who has gone on a diet, they are more likely to like regain the weight they lost, if not more, right? So if if that's the research and we know that's to be true, right. then why are we still hawking diets? Like, why are we still hawking that as the, the solution when we know that that stuff doesn't work? And we are constantly reminded of all this in society is that we need to go on that diet. We need to do this different. We need to do, be this way or that way. One of the questions that came up from my team was this one. They said, ask him how he works through those moments in the gym or the bike shop or the, at the starting line, when people assume you are not competent or experienced because you're in a larger body? Well, one of the things that I was always told is that somebody else's opinion is none of your business. Okay. So, like, I let them believe whatever they want to believe. Like, what they eat, what they consume, don't mess with me. So there has been multiple times it's like, oh, this is your first marathon or it's your first race. I'm like, no, I've ran a hundred races. And they're like, oh, wow. Right. And then they go from like, oh, trying to like feel bad for me to like, oh, now they impress. Right. And it, I think it's just a part of the the notion. Right. I think we have a problem with the fitness industry that it's really about aesthetics. Right. So everybody want the aesthetic of health or like what, what that means, but that doesn't mean that you're healthy. And I think that's the same thing is true with a person of size or being at the gym and so on and so forth is that people automatically assume that you're trying to get to this aesthetic or work towards that aesthetic when it's not necessarily true. And I don't know about you, but the people have told me, you know, when you, when you, when you assume and make an ass out of you and me, it's so true. It's so true. You know, in that same light, um, okay, so you you have this moment um, in the in the sun where you're getting all these interviews and stuff. Are people, by and large, is this is this insight that you're that you're sharing with the world? Is it being framed up as an opening of a new era, or is it like are you happy with the press that's been that you've gotten about this? Do you yeah. think it's moving? I guess what I'm saying is, do you think it's moving the needle in the right direction? Um, we shall see. Okay. You know, I think that the thing with press is that if it's new and noteworthy, like, of course, they're going to go with it. But I, I think is really trying to figure out, we shall see um, what they do in the future. Meaning, like, yes, I was on the cover of Runner's World. I was on the cover of New York Times and so on and so forth. But, like, let's see what happens in the next two or three years are they still reporting on diet culture stuff or are they actually reporting on things that are um continue to move the needle in the right direction and i don't necessarily have the answer right now you know i think it's new and new new and noteworthy and, and people want to be a part of it because you know um i think with media um media is a part of like you know monkey see monkey do type of thing of like oh like well you was on new york times well of course i want to have them on good morning america oh you was on good morning america like of course we want to have you on the today show 
and so on and so forth. So I really think that I'm going to have to see like what happens after all of the hype train dies down and the book has been out for six or more months. So let's see, let's see what happens around New Year's. Like, are they going to go back to like 10 ways to lose your Christmas pudge? Or they're going to really go into like, you know, 10 ways to like really get active in the body that you have right now. Mm, mm, it's so huge. Okay. The scope of time over the scope of time. I can report this. I've been a, a traveler my life, all my life, um, like roughing it, canoe, back wilderness camping. And I'm this big gal. So when I go into EMS or any of the sporting, you know, the hiking, sporting gear kind of places, <laughs> never have I ever been able to buy that. And then I, then I had this daughter who's even taller and bigger than me. No way. But, but in the last year and a half, we can, we've started going into these stores and finding clothes. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that that, 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 um, that that indicates a level of investment in society in a new way of thinking about who's outdoors or who's exercising or who's rock climbing and so forth. So I do have to say from my own personal experience, just shopping, that the world of size inclusivity, I think, is opening up. It is. It's moving slow, though. Um, yeah, slow. I say Way that. Slow. <laughs> yep. I say that because while there may have been a lot of movement on the women's side of things, I think the men's side of things have been very slow and have been very disappointed. So, like, yeah, like most mm -hmm. women these days can go into big box stores, Target or whatnot, yes. and see plus size models on the wall plus size mannequins and get plus size clothing. But like you go to the men's section and it's still Johnny with six pack abs yes. and, uh, on the wall, the models and on the mannequin display. So I think like it's one of those things where it's like, are they pandering? The, the, the question I have is, are they pandering to women? And like, why haven't like it moved over to the men's side as well? Like, is it really that they want to do something about it? Or is it that the women, the, the female population has been the loudest when it comes to like body acceptance or body politics movement yes. that the brands are now on that same thing that we were talking about the media of like, oh, this is trendy. So like, let's try to capitalize off that and make our dollars away from that. So I, I think it goes back to like, I would love to see more yeah. um, in the future to come, you know, even when, I don't know if you remember like the whole big fly when like Nike released like a plus size woman mannequin, yeah. like yeah. And that was amazing, but I did not see a plus size man mannequin to go along with that. This is really interesting because that my, uh, my team is five women and, and one man. And um, yet they all thought this was an issue. They knew that they, they asked me to ask you about that. They, their question was, we hear about spaces where women are being freed from this burden, but we don't see a lot happening with men. So yeah. I think it's even observable from the outside that you don't see spaces and this a mindset opening up. Yeah, you know. Well, maybe we'll get that started right now. Well, <laughs> Linda, like I can go on this for days, but like tell me the last plus size men superhero you've seen. Yeah. Like tell me the last... Yes plus size uh, kids toy 
but with a kung fu grip, uh, plus size GI Joe, plus size superhero, so on and so forth. Like you just don't see that for um, the the male or masculine side. Yeah, so I think we so, have a whole lot of issues to go along with that. We totally do, and that brings me to a really important topic that we have to make sure we have time for you to share your insights on. What advice would you give to your younger self now, knowing because I'm assuming, like me, you've you've always had this larger size body type. What what would what advice would you give your younger self now, knowing what you know? Um, I think the the, the advice that I would just give myself is that like the world is a mean place. <laughs> I think the world is a mean place, and if you focus on external validation, you'll never feel adequate in the space in your own body external validation does not equate to self-love and self-belief and self-actualization i think that that is true of almost every aspect of our lives not just body size you know if, if you if you are looking for the outside world to validate who you are or or what you can be, or any of those things, we're going to fall short because the world can be a very mean place. Right. Uh, everyone's struggling. Like, okay, so here's another one. Um, once in a while, when the family, when the family friction is going on, my daughter will sometimes talk in a way that makes me feel like I did something wrong as a parent, that I didn't prepare her better for this i i always used to say <laughs> i have to say i knew she was going to be six feet tall right off and <laughs> i would say things to her um like you know the taller you are the more powerful you'll be in a man's world i started telling her that when she was three years old because i knew we were going to have a basketball player and what i noticed in the world of women's basketball is all the girls have this very um odd posture where they don't want to stand up and be their full and incredible self and so I always wanted her to know that the taller she got, but talk to me about, but that was just what my little brain could think of to do. Like, tell me from your perspective, give me a few words of advice for parents who might be parenting a kid that's going to be a big person. Um, I think one of the things we have to do is like, give them real talk in the, in the most, in the, in the most loving way you can. So, um, I'll give you an example. So in my book, I, I wrote about like running races, right? And, and I let them know that, you know, I've ran races where they've ran out of water, all, you know, they ran out of food, they packed up the stuff, I got lost with all these things, right? And in spite of all of these things happening, all of these, th all, all these obstacles I still had to overcome, like I still do what I do because I enjoy it. And I think that's something that we're going to tell our kids as well to understand that, like, these things are going to happen. I want to get you mentally prepared for this. But, like, the world is not a kind place on a one-on-one -on -one basis, right? And I just want to make you or, like, help you be prepared for that or at least get your mindset ready for, like, these things may or may not happen but I want you to be prepared either way. Yeah. And I think like, that's the way um, like parenting could or should be. It's to let yeah. them know that, you know, 
I wish somebody would have told me, like, in, in the book, you know, I'll go on to say, like, I've ran races where um, they ran out of water. Be prepared for that. Ran races where they ran out of food. Be prepared for that. I've ran races where I've gotten lost. Ran races where all of this stuff happens. You need to be prepared for all of these things. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you can hope that it doesn't happen, but I would rather you be prepared for it and not need it than need it and not be prepared for it. Mm. Yeah. Um, it was always when this was, of course, my daughter's 30. So this was 30 or 25 years ago. And there were, it was harder. The conversations about body image were much harder back then than they are now. So I do think that there's been some progress on that too. But, and now we can talk about all, all kinds of differences and we can try to celebrate it as well. Right. Yeah. Like, like we don't have to be the same. We none of us even want a world where we're all the same. No. So, why we aren't all looking and celebrating diversity, I have no idea. That's another subject. So tell me, um, tell me about a peak moment. Do you have some peak moment where you said to yourself, "Oh my gosh, I, 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 I'm on the right track. This is this is going to be my life. I'm going in the right track." And do you remember any peak moments you want to share? Um, I think that's an interesting question. Because I've always had the mentality of like we shall see, like um, <laughs> I, I, I've always had the, the the mentality of like there's no such thing as good or bad. It's just we shall see, um, and it just goes to like the fact of like me not necessarily putting all of my marbles into external validation, but really putting it into me following my gut to know that um, I'm doing the right thing that's really driving me and like the right thing that's really um, driving my values and making sure that I'm going in the right way of my values. So what that looks like for me, like, um, like I remember when I ran my first race and I got, I lined up way in the back. Like I'm talking, I was past the walkers, past anybody else. I was in the back behind a mom who had like double stroller with like a golden retriever attached to it. And I literally thought that the mom with the stroller with the dog attached to it was going to like run faster than me. And I remember like the gun going off and like me passing the moms, me start passing the walkers and then me starting to like pass runners. And that point really hitting me and and being like, holy crap, like I'm actually a runner. Like I'm doing this running thing. Um, that was a peak moment for me. Um, I think that when I started to coach other runners to do the thing, I think that became a peak moment for me because like that was the, the inkling for me to say, you know what, I need to write this book because I'm starting to get the same questions over and over again. And I think that a book would be a more efficient way to like get my clients up to speed versus me telling 50 or 60 people at the time the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I think like those are the things that I think of like with peak moments. Of course, like getting on Good Morning America, like that was fun. Being on Cover New York Times, like that's fun. Like those are just like external validation stuff that just happens. But I don't bank on that stuff. I don't necessarily right. like count on it because like that stuff will come. You'll get a little spike. And then everything will go back to normal. So I try to focus on like the minutia of like the normal everyday life. 
Um, I, I think a great example of this is that literally went out for, went to go see, get went to Good Morning America. Like my wife came, some friends came. We went to breakfast afterward. After everybody left and it was just me and my wife, we get home, like come through the door. I'm like taking off my shoes. And she's like, hey, can you take the trash out? So like even that whole notion of like, like I was literally on Good Morning America less than an hour ago and like life is just back to normal like literally on good morning america everybody's fawning over me and like my wife is like hey can you go take out the trash (laughs) i totally know these moments i had a guest um david pearl and i introduced him i had this nice introduction just like i gave for you and he got the first words out of his mouth he said wait wait, can I go get my wife and you can do that again and say all those nice things? She just (laughs) thinks I'm average. (laughs) But it is true. We all are just everyday people and we do have these spikes in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's more or less what it is, is that I'm just a regular guy who who wrote a book, but I've had these thoughts about myself or like the thoughts about the the, the market for a very long time. And I guess I said it uh, long enough that people are just starting to believe me. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. Okay. So as we wind down here, um, one more time, the name of the book and we're, I, I should tell people we, there will be a full article written around our uh, Martinez's episode here on the goodness exchange website. And it will include a link to every single thing that he and I have talked about, including this other podcast episode. That's so fun. Um, and his book will be there with a link to order it. I'm assuming it's on Amazon. What's the, what's the name of the book again? Slow AF Run Club, the ultimate guide for anybody who wants to run. So it's available wherever books are sold. So of course, Amazon, of course, Barnes and Noble, but also your local independent bookseller Okay. well. Um, yeah, you know, it's how's it doing? It's doing pretty well. You know, I, I think it's doing pretty well. Yay. Okay. So if this interview had been just two or three minutes and like the one question I had asked you was, what do you really wish people knew? Like sometimes when you, when you're just seeing the way the world works and something happens and like, there's for me, I know I get interviewed a lot. I there's, if I only had three minutes, there's one thing I really wish people knew about how to navigate the internet. That's what I get interviewed about. Tell me, um, tell me what you really wish people knew. What I wish people knew is that somebody made this shit up. Somebody made all of this stuff up. And, like, we're just following along with it. So ask questions and, like, really ask yourself, like, why are you falling in line with rules that other people made up? And if they don't fall fall in line with you, it's time to change those rules so that it can make make sense towards you. That is is sage advice. Sage advice. Okay. Lastly – what would have to happen next? You know, like, I'm sure you hope that your insights improve the lives of others. What would have to happen next? You need people to share this. Please, um, one more time, tell us where they can join others in this. Absolutely. So we have an app called the Slow Your Front Club app. So you can go download that on iOS or Android or your favorite um, phone, um, what you call it, app store. So, like, that's something that we're working on. I am... Um, doing public speaking. So if you're looking for uh, a speaker who talks about um, body politics or 
motivation, a mindset, I, I'm here. And then the last thing that we're actually working on is uh, launching a nonprofit. And um, the, the goal with this nonprofit is to give physical activity away to everybody for free. So our goal is to uh, inspire 1 million people to start running in the body that they have right now. And um, that's, that's those are the next step with the, with, the, um, with the nonprofit. So we're in the process of getting us launched so that we can allow individuals to um, launch their own local chapters, but also so that we can help drive the mission of letting people know that they can be a runner in the body that they have now. And we then put our money where our mouth is at and like actually get people out running, whether that's giving them gear, whether that's giving them stipends to um, run races, whether that's giving them like flight credits to go to fly to different places. Like we just want to be able to just give the joy of running to everyone. Wow. That's lovely. All right. Well, I, I think, can't thank you enough. Um, uh, Martinez Evans go to just pop that in with New York times beside it. There's a, I, I found the article that the CBC did on you was so thorough and lovely. Um, but find out, what this man is doing in the world um he is opening up uh, uh, all kinds of new landscapes for folks of all body sizes and and expanding what we think is possible and i can't thank you enough for being on the good the conspiracy of goodness podcast thank you thank you for having me linda all right well i hope all the connections to goodness and progress carry you through your week um and you find you start finding all the joy and wonder that uh, Martinez and I have been talking about. Thanks for joining us at the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. <laughs>